Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast, and with us is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh. I still want to say first-time filmmaker. Yeah, it's, well, you've been doing that for two years, so, you know, hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. Is it really only two years? It feels like it's been going on. A it's like it's been forever. <laughs> and not in a bad way. I just it, that, that just feels lower to me. Yeah. It's yeah. probably a little over two years, but. And if you haven't guessed it, that's Jason Rugg, who needs no introduction. Hello, Jason. Yes, he does. I hey love there. your introduction of Jason. Uh, we got to save it. You know, if, if you overdo it, it becomes <laughs> another time, another time. All right. How you doing, trusty, Jake? dusty host, Josh Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> Just dusty. <laughs> Wait, you work in the financial sector? <laughs> you can't trust me. <laughs> That's a good uh, one, Jason. You were quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you can't trust me as a host. You can trust me in other areas. Oh, you are one um, of the most trustworthy people I do know, Josh. I will vouch for Oh, that's, that's good to hear. That's how they so I, I just realized, I don't know if you're going to hear banging or not, but we've got, we, we decided to take uh, Christian's lead and have work done in our house. <laughs> you finally by, got it. You finally got it going. You could never. No, no, no. I don't know if you remember our our faucet in the kitchen sink leaked i didn't realize it water went into the basement the ceiling in our finished basement started dripping water so that had all had to be cut out dried repaired got a new faucet three months goes by and oh there's water leaking in our basement again in our brand new ceiling um, so it's 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 the exact same thing all over again so uh they're downstairs cutting out our ceiling as we speak Oh man, I feel your pain. Ours is the project that would not end. Honestly, I we're, you know, every day something's happening that delays it. Today it was quartz that we ordered that won't be in until the end of March. Quartz? Yes. For countertops. Actually, this one was uh, for the bathroom vanity and showers and stuff like that. Oh also, my. Christian, we've been doing the show for three years because we're up to episode 150 that's been released now. So yeah. <laughs> oh really how yeah. about that we've been around for three years that's exciting <laughs> all right all right well do you guys want to jump in and let's uh get this show on the road let's do it all so right. what's new in the world of the girl who wore freedom well it's been it's uh it's been busy it's been very busy this week um been a lot of ups and downs as it as there always are um, today I had a friend reach out who was interested in making his own first documentary and he wanted to pick my brain and, uh, I was reviewing with him sort of how my whole journey began and sort of the ups and downs of that. And man, it is just a roller coaster ride all the time. It never ends. And this week was no different. So, uh, it started off with getting an email from Joe Amaday, or he's been on our podcast before. He's working hard for us. He's the one that um, is pitching the Brave Dutch for funding. And also he is um, pitching the girl who wore freedom. He is acting as our sub distributor, but he has personal relationships with people in Hollywood. And so um, as opposed to just emails and reaching out um you know, he now guys have gone into their offices and he's met and talked with them. And he sent me sort of a follow-up report that was pretty crushing this week. So I'm going to let you in 
on that news. Um, basically, we had a whole host, the majority of people that he pitched it to passed from Hulu, Stars, Amazon, History Channel, Nat Geo, Discovery, Discovery Plus, Peacock, Paramount Plus, IFC, which I don't even know what that is. Independent Film Channel, maybe? Yes. Sundance, yep, yep. Um, HBO, Magnolia, and Redbox all passed. And a lot of those are pretty confusing, like Peacock, for example. I know they took a documentary that we screened with at the GI Film Festival last year, and we won the best documentary. We beat them out for that. And they took that film and not ours. So that was a tad confusing, as was the History Channel, of course. Um, and the ones that we still have yet to hear from are Netflix. We know that Joe uh, pitched that in person, and they told him they would watch it. But as of yet, we haven't heard anything there. Showtime, we still haven't heard back from. Apple, we still haven't heard back from. CNN and CNN Plus, uh, we still haven't heard from HBO, A&E, and Google YouTube. Those are the other ones that they pitched. So, Not, not to be nitpicky, didn't you mention HBO in the, in the first list? Um, I mentioned HBO past, but not HBO Max. So they, are two different, they are two different things. They are considered oh. different entities. So HBO Max is kind of the umbrella now so like even though they're like owned by other they have a ton of other stuff on there not just hbo so hbo is still considered the channel and then hbo max is like a huge umbrella that and it's the streaming it's the streaming too yeah yeah oh, okay yeah that's only streaming if you get an hbo max show like station 11 is an hbo max show it's not an hbo show oh yeah it's confusing <laughs> yeah it's confusing I, well, I got to say, Christian, you know, I mean, that's disappointing to hear that stuff. I mean, at the same time, I mean, most of the responses you're going to get are going to be true. rejections. I it mean, only takes one to say yes. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's true in the world of sales and anything else. I mean, like every inspirational quote is about how many knows the guy who started Starbucks, you know, got right. or how many rejections, like you said, Ken Burns got, you know, and. And that's all it is. It's just rejections. And, um, and so it's disappointing, nevertheless, but par for the course, something you just need to be ready for, which is why a lot of people don't, I mean, you know, make building a business, promoting a film is not for the faint of heart. So true. <laughs> and there are no guarantees. Um, when I asked Joe, I said, you know, were there any reasons he said there were a whole lot of reasons from the running time to not falling into the younger demographic that they're looking for. But the biggest reason he said is that these guys are not licensing like they used to. Um, and that is the truth. Um, a lot of like, people, what, what do you mean? Explain that. They're not licensing content. They're making their own. Oh, okay. They want to own the content. They don't want to license the rights to put someone else's content on there. There is also like, I know this is true in um, scripted um, a lot is like 
even if you show up and the script is like amazing and you're ready to go to production, like people want their fingerprints on things. They want to be able to say, I, I suggested we change this. I suggest, you know, they, they want to go to a party and be able to talk and be like, oh yeah, that, that was my idea. You know, that sort of thing. And this prestige thing wouldn't have happened without my input. So a lot of people now, particularly now that licensing is starting to dwindle is that they want to have creative input at the start rather than, oh, we're just going to buy that thing later. It does still happen, but it's, it is a considerable less amount. Um, but that's something that I've been hearing industry-wide for the last couple of years. It's becoming more and more of a trend. Yeah. Yep. Um, I was definitely shocked that Redbox passed. Um, but, uh, you know, I reached out to David Patterson and he said, yeah, but 99% of their stuff is boobs, babes, and bullets. That was an exact quote. And mm. you know what? It is. I was, because my theory for that was, well, I mean, I can't believe, have you seen the stuff that's in Redbox? I mean, come on. And they're not going to take hours. But the point is, who's their audience and what do they want right. to watch? Why right. is that the stuff that's in there? The stuff that's in there is because that's what people are purchasing. So but people who are still renting DVDs anyway. Right, right. I mean, that is a different demographic. It is point. a different demographic. Yeah. They do also have on-demand Redbox, so Red, really? it, it is a little bit different, and it's, it's a little bit, um, it's it's kind of like streaming. They also have like live TV and a couple other things that are a little bit odd, but yeah, they do have um, also on-demand and streaming. So it wouldn't just be in the red the red box at at, at Jewel or something. But do you know anyone who uses Redbox streaming? <laughs> no, but you could also rent digitally on there. I think. So, yeah, like you can get Ghostbusters Afterlife early access on demand at Redbox. Mm-hmm. So it's like they, they get special windowing and, and things like that. So it's not just the Redbox. It's now the company Redbox. And yeah, it, it gets confusing. All this stuff is just getting more and more muddy. And we're having a lot more, you know, you say HBO and you think you know what that means. You say Redbox and you think you know what that means and comes out and it, you, you just, you learn more and it's like, oh, there's like three different things that that means. Great. Yeah. Okay. I mean, right. the <laughs> earth is moving under our feet in this industry yeah. as yeah. we speak. I mean, it's like the, it really is. The plates are shifting. Everything is changing. Um, and I mean, I just read this week in one of the industry rags about how, you know, uh, Netflix's profits are diving. Everybody is having a really rough time. Um, you know, even Disney. I mean, everybody is having a, a a down season at a time where you wouldn't think it would be. Um, and I think, you know, they were spending lots of money and overextending themselves maybe, and they're now going to need to contract a little bit. But I mean, there's so much happening out there. Um, you just never know what the industry is going to be like next week. Um, and it's certainly not like anything we've ever seen in the past. So everything's different from pitching to the way you get started. I mean, look at you, Jason, you know, you tried to pitch a few things with your stuff and you're like, you know what, we're going to go on Instagram and we're going to create <laughs> our own audience. And I mean, it's a whole new way of doing business. I, I've been consulting on a project since 2017 um, that I can't talk about anything more than that. Um, but I've been consulting on this project for a long time and um, they're finally ready to the point where they want to go and pitch this thing. And when we first started talking about it, they were talking about pitching to like Fox and, um, you know, I think Nickelodeon, like Nick at Night, you know, they were talking about all these different places. And now they're like, yeah, I think we're going to go to Peacock. I think we're going to go to Tubi. Like just those didn't exist 
or they barely existed and weren't even a big player when we first started this project. But now it's like, okay, we're not even going to talk about going to Fox. We don't care about that. We're not going to go to them. Right. It's, we're going to go over here. And it's, that's only five years, four, four or five years. Yeah. Totally completely shifted. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and think about when I started this, I started this and, you know, we shot principal photography in 2018. I mean, the world is totally different, you yeah. know, when I started this project. Um, so really everything that we're saying in this podcast is useless next week. It's not going to matter. I mean, it would be really interesting to go back and listen to our early episodes and see how much stuff has changed from when, you know, cause I mean, we were, we were sure we were going to be a shoe in for these, you know, cable channels, you know, like history or, um, you know, whatever. And it's just not that way anymore. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, Joe said, you know, there's still some out there. I think there's like eight out there. He's like, it's not over yet. And then I told him, you know, it dawned on me like, okay, well, we have some of these left big ones still, um, you know, Netflix being one of them. And it dawned on me that we have some very big events coming up pretty soon. You know, VE Day is on May 8th, Memorial Weekend. There's D-Day on June 6th, 4th of July. There's, you know, Veterans Weekend. And so I think it's important to kind of go into these meetings and say, hey, look, you know, here's content that you're going to be needing for all of these things. It's a great fit. Um, and, you know, D-Day is coming up. And we are having this, you know, we've got the French premiere in France, which is Reims. <laughs> and um, we have that coming up. And we have um, this Delta Michelin uh, Best Defense Foundation event where we're flying veterans, chartering a flight, flying veterans over to Normandy on June 6th. And all of that, there's going to be a lot of news and a lot of stuff happening around the film during that time. And so it really would be a good time to be carrying it. So they did tell me, hey, that's great for us to know. We'll go back to these people that are still out there and, you know, let them know that. So... There's, There's hope always is still hope. alive. Yeah, hope yes. is still alive. Uh, and, you know, the other thing that happened this week that I was really encouraged about is I got a letter out of the blue yesterday. Um, and I, I don't know how to pronounce this man's name. Um, I think it's uh, Theory Chanot. He uh, wrote me a letter and said um, he is with the he's the president of the American Society of La Souvenir Française. Um, and he said to me, our organization would be interested in buying several DVDs of the girl who wore freedom, which I saw in a Delta flight recently. So that told me, you know, the impact that it, Delta has had us being on Delta has been enormous. I mean, so many people have reached out to us from that either to buy DVDs or to do a screening or to be in their school um, you know, he said, it's a remarkable documentary that deserves to be seen by a wide audience. Um, I don't see any video available to purchase on the web except to rent or buy on Apple TV. And we'd like to find a way for our members who don't have an iTunes account um, to be able to see it. And so I reached out to him um, because when I see this, his group actually is a French group, French American group, trying to keep the memory alive of all of the French 
explorers and the French military people that came over here to help America early on in our history. And so their mission is to keep the relationship alive between the Americans and the French and to keep the memory alive of those um, soldiers that fought early on for our independence. Um, so our goals were definitely aligned there. Um, when I looked him up um, in the industry world, he volunteers for this organization, but he um, is in the luxury brand industry. I mean, he's represented Cartier and a whole bunch of other um, diamond manufacturers. And so he uh, is in this French American world and in this industry world where, you know, perhaps we can make this connection with him and do a screening. So I wrote him back and told him about Flo and Danny coming. He's in New York. And I think Flo and Danny in the middle of May are going to fly to New York. So it's possible for us to do a screening up there. So we're going to talk today about the possibilities of partnering with that organization. And um, so I was encouraged by that, you know, the movie being on Delta and um, on Apple TV is, is at least something. And so I'm very thankful um, and still looking forward to whatever doors will you know, those things will open. So. Well, I, I think part of the lesson, especially for anyone listening, should be we're all familiar with traditionally how we view movies, Netflix or go to the theater and you think, all right, well, that's, you know, and you hear the stories of how these got made. And so you think, well, that's how I got to do it. But you don't realize there are so many other ways to make a movie, to get the movie out. Um, I mean, like, you know, you don't think about like, hey, you know, I make a film and it's going to be screened for people flying only on Delta, right? You know, like, but that's, you know, one way it's doing it. And then there's certain niche groups that are going to see it. And and that's just a, I guess, something you need to be open to and have creative thinking of how to, you know, maybe it's not going to win an Academy Award, but there's going to be so many people that can see this film that you wouldn't have thought of. But we just live in a different world today and there's so many niche groups and with technology and, and so on that it can be seen by a lot of people. Yeah. And I think the lesson for me here is something that David Patterson said way back when on one of our podcasts and has said over and over again, you are the champion of your film. Now you can make a film and turn it over to somebody, walk away and do something different. But truthfully, if you want your film to be seen, if you care about the mission and it's a passion project for you and, um, nobody will care about it as much as you do. And so you have to be the champion. You have to be selling it and looking for every avenue. You know, he's been on me lately, like Christian, you need to go through all of the organizations that you've worked with and you need to go back to them and see if you can do a screening schools, universities, um, you know, veterans organizations. And, um, and now you can charge to do these theatrical screenings. You need to see if you can forewall your film, um, you know, around a specific event and sell tickets to see people, you know, he's like, you should be, um, you know, looking up every library in the country or, you know, there's just all these different things he keeps telling me about, now, I need to have nothing else going on in order to be able to do that. Like, it's a lot of work. You know, you're, you either have to have a sales team or you have to do it yourself. Um, but just because you don't end up on a cable channel or a streaming service doesn't mean there's not a home for your film. There, there is a lot of ways to get your film distributed. And what I am doing with these screenings 
um, it is sort of independently distributing my own film. Um, and so that has been a lesson for me this week. Um, it, it may continue to need a lot of nurture and care and selling. Yeah. And, and maybe for a while too. Yes. For a while, for sure. Yeah. So that happened, um, this week. Um, an exciting thing that happened this week is I did make a call to CO Bauer, to William Kellerman, who was with the 79th Infantry Division, and to Bob Davini, who was um, with the 82nd Airborne. They're all in our film. I pitched to them the idea of coming to Normandy on the chartered Delta flight, uh, and they are all very interested and have committed as long as the COVID situation doesn't turn terrible. Um, so that's exciting for me because it looks like the plan will be for Air France to fly Danny and Flo over. They'll be here for two weeks doing events and screenings with me. Um, we'll do some events for Delta, uh, culminating on May 31st when we have a, a veteran or a dinner to celebrate the veterans on Memorial Day weekend. And then on June 1st, we'll take off on Delta flight and fly to Normandy, I think into Deauville. And um, they'll be there with us and hopefully they'll be able to be at a screening or two with us as well. So that was super exciting. Um, and then we, you know, are still planning our little trip to, um, to Reims or to France, as I have learned it is pronounced. Um, and I am so thankful for Virginie Durr. She reached out to the um, director, the Delta director in Europe and he is interested in this event because his grandfather landed um, in St. Lo. And so if we have, you know, some sort of champion like that as well in France, that's going to be super um, good for us because we can partner with another country to bring um, sort of awareness about the film over there. So, um, so that was exciting. And uh, Danny and Flo have committed to coming to that event, as well as Toma and Flavi and Michelle Coupe. So it's going to kind of be getting the band back together for that screening. Um, so we've been busy planning that and planning the D-Day events. Uh, and then tomorrow I leave for the Flathead Lake International Cinema Fest, where we're up for Best Documentary Short. So those are kind of the good things that have happened this week. What, what's the film festival going to look like? Is it, I mean, pretty open? Which one? In, People, in, the, the one you're headed up to tomorrow. Yeah, anybody can go. Anybody can go. And um, the website is, um, I think it's Flick, F-L-I-C. Um, it's the Flathead Lake International Cinema Fest in Polson, Montana. Um, and, you know, you can just walk up and buy tickets. It is in person. It's not virtual. We screen on Friday night and on Sunday. And, um, I'm really excited because there's some girls that are coming that I'd met at the Julian Dubuque International Film Festival. So that'll be fun. Oh, good. All right. Um, but, and I guess people are listening. They're going to, by the time they hear this, they're going to miss the festival though, right? Mm, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Darn it. it. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, what else is going on, Christian? Yeah. So um, this week, my team really is focusing on two things. One, completing this transition from being um, Normandy Project to becoming documentary first. Um, and that revolves around getting our website designed. So Mindy Cook on our team is building out a wireframe for our new website. Um, we've been meeting to refine that and um, she's going to now design that. We've settled on the wireframe. 
And um, hopefully by next week, we'll see the design for that. The big question for us has been, what do we do with the girl who wore freedom site? So that's been our big mainstay from the very beginning. We've done everything through that. Our podcast is there. Our blog is there. Um, we have videos there. We have our press kits there. You know, what are we going to do with this? And how do, how does documentary first, um, you know, set itself up for sort of longer term with other projects. And so we were reviewing different websites, starting from like Warner Brothers and Marvel, you know, the big guys down to full spectrum features, which is in Chicago and how they set up um, their websites because they are all working on, you know, more than one property, of course. Um, and we we want to be you know, we have to be sort of similar and have things on there like press tabs and like videos or trailers for our films. But we also want to be a little bit different because we are. We want the people that watch our films or come to our websites to realize they're part of partnering with us. Um, we really can't do this, nor do I want to do this without um, you know, public engagement and people that believe in the mission of what we're doing. Um, so we have sort of turned our efforts to figuring out how we can grow our Patreon group. Um, and we're uh, looking at that continually. Um, it's first crafting it in a way that um, offers people what might be interesting to them, behind the scenes content, connections with me and other people on our team, et cetera. Um, and we're hoping to use the website and social media to, to drive that. Um, and, but the big question has been, what are we going to do with these two websites? So I met with Jennifer Doherty, who's kind of a, been our SEO um, advisor. And her answer was, you're going to have to have two domains. Because if we just changed the girl who wore freedom and sort of just eliminated that and made documentary first our main website and just had a page for the girl who wore freedom, we would lose all the SEO that we had built up over the last five years for that website. And that would not be good for us. So it looks like we're going to have to keep the girl who wore freedom. We're going to have to make a new website, documentaryfirst.com, and we'll have to backlink them to each other. Um, and then all the other new properties, the Brave Dutch, Grueling Glory, the Carenton Project, the Dear Donna, you know, uh, documentary will all have their own pages, you know, their own world inside the documentary first umbrella. So that's taken a lot of conversations and figuring out. So that's been a lot of this week. Um, and then the last thing, thanks to Ben Fythen, our business operations guy, he's been trying to figure out um, how we can continue to expand our financial base. And one of those is by monetizing our podcast somehow. Um, to do that, we have gotten enough listenership to be able to migrate to a system like Anchor, where then we could, you know, put a little commercial at the beginning or the end. Uh, we could find a sponsor or we could use the sponsors that they have. Um, and so, you know, yeah. Explain Anchor. How, how does that work? Well, Anchor is, as far as I understand it, and Jason, you may be able to elaborate a little more, Anchor is similar to uh, Libsyn, so it's a podcast distributor, and it's sort of a, a business model that's different than Libsyn, um, and it has kind of different rules, and I don't understand all of those because I have people 
looking that up. So Jason, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, so Anchor is actually the the um, podcast host that I recommend to people. Um, now it's anchor.fm. When people approach me and say, hey, where do I start? Um, Anchor FM. It is free. Um, I think it's free forever, as far as I know. Um, and it has a lot of um, features that something like Libsyn, which is a legacy product, it's been around forever and hasn't really done a lot of updating, doesn't have. So Anchor actually has things built in where you can go to an ad marketplace. And like, if you leave a gap in a podcast, it could auto populate in new ads. Um, I think that's how Anchor works. There are some services that work that way. I'm pretty sure Anchor works that way. Most of the podcasts that I work on don't use Anchor and the ones that do use Anchor aren't big enough to utilize that yet. So I haven't looked a, a ton into that, but it is a way to help uh, turn your podcast into uh, a bit of a revenue source. Like, can you guys talk numbers? I mean, like, cause I, you know, you, it's funny. I think I've said this before, you know, I have the movie proposal podcast with Jason and Sky Jatani. People assume we just get paid all kinds of money for this. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we are wasting our time. We are wasting our lives talking to a microphone <laughs> to each other. We get paid nothing. So when people do make money on podcasts, what does that look like? How big does it have to be? I mean, what is that world even? This, this is, by the way, this is a side note. I'm getting on a soapbox now, but I, I wish actors, when they talk about their stories and how they made it and they, you know, they got hired on the office or whatever, how do they get paid? How do they make a living? How much money are they making? Like they, they never talk about these things, probably for good reason, but still I want to know, like it would be good to, to understand this because it's like you either make nothing and you're waiting tables or you're a gajillionaire in Hollywood. That's all we can assume because we and know then, nothing in between. And then there is the middle ground. So I was talking to my friend Pam Tierney this week, my dear friend Pam, who is an actor in Chicago and she's really been beating the pavement. I think she did 600 something auditions, probably more than that over the course of last year for all of the shows here. And she also gets auditions from LA and she, uh, you know, her, her booking ratio for what she is, you know, for the amount of auditions she's doing. I mean, it, it's just crazy how many auditions you have to do to really book a thing. That's number one. Number two, so a session rate for a SAG actor, um, the, the uh, SAG minimum is like $1,500. So as a day player, so you you go on to Chicago Med, you get paid, you know, $1,500 for the day. Maybe you get paid for a wardrobe fitting. Now maybe you get paid for your COVID testing time. Um, and you do your little thing for that day. Uh, and that's it. Now, if, you know, let's, let's say it streams on something, you will get a little bit of a residual for how many times it streams. So, but it's just that episode. So before, if you were in something that played on NBC and um, every time the whole episode played on anything, you would get a tiny little residual. But when you hear people talk about residuals, unless you're pay getting paid above the SAG minimum and you've negotiated your contract and really only name actors can do that, or people that have been in the industry long enough, um, you know, 
the residuals are not that big. It's a lot less than you think. So yeah, so you've got working actors that are making money, um, but it's not a ton. Yeah, Jason? And the other thing um, is that number changes depending on the budget of the total budget True. of the project. Exactly. So like the 1,000, um, I think it's actually 1,056 yeah, um, is a theatrical agreement. Um, then you go down to the low budget, which is between 700,000 right. and 2 million. And that's $686 a day. Yeah. And you just keep whittling that down until it's like $211 a day Yeah, um, for ultra low. Ultra low and, budget. Yeah. And then there's like SAG short project, which is negotiable because it's like, it has to be less than $50,000 in budget. And there's, so there's a lot of pieces to it that, that actually make that change. And that's the nice thing about a lot of these unions is you can actually look up like what the writer's guild minimums are, what the director's guild minimums are, what the, um, SAG after minimums are those are all available it's just a matter of taking the time to go look for them <laughs> yeah and, I <laughs> and those are say, the minimums right and minimums. I will say one thing about the unions um the one good thing is when you are a working actor and you have your stuff out there all the time it is such a good thing to have an agent and to have a union who is tracking how much those things are seen because if nobody was tracking that, you would have no idea. And so, you know, you don't, have, there have been so many times just Pam Tierney just this week told me she um, realized she was not getting residuals that she was due for this one thing. And she had to get her agent and SAG to work on that to get her paid those back residuals. So, um, yeah, it's super important. That's why union, that's one of the reasons. There are many other reasons that unions popped up and, and when they did, but. Yeah. And there's two other kind of interesting things about um, that. So probably the next reason why the WGA, the Writers Guild, is going to strike, at least from what I've heard, um, is because they don't believe that they're getting accurate reporting on streaming. Um, right. Streaming, it is very, you know, Netflix does not give out actual numbers. They, right. they, for like the first time ever, like two months ago, they were like, yeah, here's some basic numbers. Like this is how many hours of Squid Game was watched. And it was like that doesn't really that doesn't tell me you know was that a bunch of people watching one minute was it a bunch of people finishing the whole show i don't know what that means and so it's really hard to you know go okay i'm accurately getting paid for for whatever i worked on that so um the next strike is likely going to be about accuracy of reporting within streamers and probably bumping up whatever the residual pay is for those because those when they were last negotiated netflix was pretty much the only player like amazon had just kind of come on the scene and wasn't and at the time was not trying to be union they were trying to go around like i don't remember if, i don't know if you remember amazon studios their whole thing was we're not union like writers directors actors we want people who are outside the system and they very quickly realized oh all the good people are in the system okay <laughs> and so they they very quickly shifted to being a union uh, shop um so that's probably going to be um, the next big strike is going to be just transparency within streamers. Cause right now they are a just black box. That yeah. We don't I just understand. don't know how they can get away with that, but they, no. they have. And like I said, it is the wild West and nobody has figured out how to, you know, contain that or deal with that. So maybe the strike will make some progress. Yeah. So we'll see. It, it, that's, that's the talk right now is that they either need a lot more clarity to come up in the next negotiation or they're probably going to strike. And I don't know if that's just going to be the WGA or if it's also going to, the Directors Guild is very hesitant to uh, strike. They've pretty much never threatened to strike. Um, the WGA 
uh, is the most strike happy, yeah. um, but they also tend Great. to be the ones who bring along a lot of change for the industry. So we'll see. We'll see. They also make the most money in the industry, I should have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they keep striking, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in the podcast world, what does it look like to make money? Do you, do you have to have a certain size? Do you, is it better to have a sponsor versus ads? Um, do you get paid in advance or do you get paid in the back end if someone uses the code that you promoted, you know, so on? So there's a couple different ways you can approach that. So there's um, like affiliate links, um, which like you could go to Squarespace right now, Josh, you could go to Squarespace and say, hey, I want to be an affiliate. And they'll go, okay. And they'll generate a link for you. And if anyone uses that link that you send around to your email list or whatever, you get a, a chunk of, of money. Um, and they actually have to sign up. They actually have to spend money at Squarespace and then you get a chunk. Then there's like advertisements, which is where a actual ad service goes, hey, you have a huge audience. We think that they would like to, you know, hear about our thing. So they pay a certain amount to get their ad on the show. And then depending on the deal, if they if people click the link and use it, then um, you get an additional cut. So it's like buying ad space, but then an additional cut beyond that. Um, so those are like the main methods. But then there's also things like Patreon or just premium subscriptions in general. Um, there's a couple different ones of those. Like, um, oh shoot, there's uh, there's a premium podcast app. Like that's all they do is they make premium podcasts where you can upload like a version without ads and it go and it comes out early and that goes to all your people. And that's not a Patreon. That's, that's a whole different service. Um, I think, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to look up what that is. And so like, that's just people paying for early access. It's not even a Patreon where they get anything else. It's just early access to the podcast. So there's, there's a couple different ways you can do it. Christian, am I missing anything? No. I mean, the only thing I would say is, you know, individual podcast people can go out there and find a sponsor to get them to, you know, just like you do anything else, you can find a sponsor that will, you know, you know, pay you something each week to have an advertisement at the beginning of the end or in the middle. Um, that's a way. And, you know, like with anchor, you, you have to have a certain size audience and then you can use the ads that they, that people have, um, paid for at anchor and they'll slide them into your podcast. Or I think you can make a you can pick which advertisers you want that kind of go with your audience, you know, right, Jason? Yeah, pretty much. So it, it depends on which deal you have. Like there are certain marketplaces where you, where people have to pitch you and you have to accept their advertisement and then you read it out on the air or right, that's there's, right. there's ones where like you're talking about where it's like, they just slot in a new ad that's, you know, recorded from some voiceover actor or artist. Um, and it's just them talking about a different podcast or, you know, use Noom and, and lose weight or, you know, whatever. Um, they didn't pay us for that. Uh, no, but actually so, I like Noom. I use it myself. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, and so there's, the, so one of the premium podcast uh, sites I was thinking of is supportingcast.fm. And they actually, um, a lot of different um, podcasts are on there and it's premium revenues for podcasters is how they they put it. And so like, one that I subscribe to personally is Script Notes Premium. I get the podcast a day early and it has um, bonus segments at the end, which is like an additional 15 minutes where they talk about some sort of, you know, sometimes it could be something kind of stupid and fun or other times it could be like, we're going to dig in even deeper on this topic. 
and help you understand this thing about script writing a little bit better. So, and they use uh, supporting cast.fm and that's $4.99 a month. I pay $4.99 a month. And the other thing about that is I get access to the entire back catalog. So they do a thing where if the last 20 episodes are up for free, but you want the rest, you have to, you have to pay to unlock them. Some people do that when it's educational. That's a lot more of an educational thing rather than an entertainment thing. You want, you want, if you want to do that, that's more of an evergreen podcast sort of thing. You need a big podcast that um, people will want to go back and listen to every single episode because otherwise, you know, you're doing a news every week. Nobody's going to care to listen to news from five years ago. True. Interesting. So, yeah. So what, in terms of this podcast, what are you talking about doing, Christian? Well, I mean, again, Ben is just looking into this. Um, and one tool we're using is called Chartable. Now, we're, this is a service that we're paying, paying like $20 a month for right now. I wanted to see if it would really give us any insight into our listenership and what our numbers are. And uh, it has been helpful. Um, I think we're at a thousand downloads a month, a little more than that, which is not a ton. Um, but I guess it's enough for us to monetize on anchor. So again, I don't really know this. We're just stepping into these waters this week. Thanks to Ben. Um, we're still trying to figure out how to have some sort of consistent, um, revenue, uh, to keep this little company fledgling clump company going. So stay tuned for more. You could sell memberships. Yes. And, you could sell. Uh, and then when you bring in people, you get part of the revenue from the membership fee. And then they get part of the revenue of the membership fee when they bring in more people. I, I've seen this before. Um, I don't think it's legal, but you can totally make a lot of money doing it. I'm kidding. Well, it's so the multi-level. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that multi-level marketing? <laughs> I think multi-level marketing is legal. Pyramids no. are illegal. But, it's um, a triangle of trust. It's not a pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of been our week this week. All right. All right. Well, very exciting stuff. Um, maybe we should shift gears to our new segment, the Deja Vu DocuView, where we bring you our favorite documentaries. Christian, do you want to go first? No, I want you to go first. I don't know if I brought this up or not. You can tell me, and I have a backup if I've already mentioned this one, but the Disney Plus, The Rescue, it's through their, I think, National Geographic segment. It's about the, the boys, the soccer team who were in the cave, I believe in Thailand oh, because yeah. of the flood. Yeah. Holy cow. So uh, you liked this? Fantastic. It's I think most people might be familiar with the story where there was a, uh, I think it was like 12 year old boys out on a field trip, ex you know, exploring caves, something that you do just kind of for fun in this, where they lived. But this particular day, there was a flash flood and basically trapped them in the cave. So it was, it was inescapable. They are going to run out of air. They're going to run out of, you know, obviously they, you're going to run out of food and they had to come up with a way to rescue them. Uh, spoiler alert. They, I mean, this is news. They rescued everyone there. There was one diver who, who passed away, but you think, you know, the whole story just when you know that much, but there's so much more to it. It is very, can't think of the word, but like, even though you know, the end, I mean, you're on the edge of your seat. It's, it's, 
it's thrilling. It's emotional too. It's, it was a, and just the drama, the politics, the people involved, the people who volunteered, really incredible story. And I also found out Ron Howard is directing the theatrical version of it. So that's coming oh. out in, in a year from now. Interesting. It must be a really good story if that's happening. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I just read an article as soon as that story happened, like, I mean, within days of the rescue, there were all these film companies buying, trying to buy the rights. There was some Christian film company that we've seen their films. I can't think of what they've made, but uh, they, they were buying the rights for it. And so anyway, uh, I think National Geographic made the documentary, if I'm not mistaken. And then Ron Howard's making the theatrical version that's coming out later. But Disney Plus, great documentary. Check it out. Awesome. Thank you for that recommendation. All right, Jason, what about you? All right. So mine is not a documentary in the traditional sense, but it is a documentary uh, podcast that chronicled um, a person launching their first novel and how they did it and all the, the pitfalls they ran into printing, formatting, all that, you know, writing it, all that sort of stuff. It's a podcast called Launch. And it's actually from when I was just talking about Script Notes, the one podcast that I that I support. Um, it's actually John August who wrote Big Fish and, and Charlie and the Chocolate mm -hmm. Factory later on in his career, he wanted to write a book. And so he made a podcast called launch and it's a fascinating look into um, just publishing a novel. And the, the description of it is that three out of five people dream of writing a book. Maybe you're one of them. And so then it goes on to talk about everything you ran into. And it's, it's a pretty interesting dive. It's not very long. It's only like two or three episodes, but it's a really fun little podcast. Um, so if you want to listen to somebody running into all these pitfalls and, and overcoming them um, in publishing their first book, I recommend launch. Awesome. Thank you. I like it that you brought in something a little different. Um, mine that I'm going to recommend this week uh, is one I actually watched this week. It caught me by surprise. It was um, marketed to me on Netflix. That's how I found it. Uh, and it's called Clive Davis, The Soundtrack of Our Lives. So this is a documentary that's, you know, about Clive Davis. I didn't really even know who he was. So it was very educational to me, which I absolutely love when I learn new things. But Clive Davis has been around since, I mean, I don't know, dirt was invented probably. Um, but no, I think the early sixties, he was going to be a lawyer and that's what he did. He went to law school, very brilliant man. Uh, he got a job as an in-house lawyer at Columbia. And one day the guy in charge told him that he was going to be the head of Columbia records. <laughs> And so he had no idea what he was supposed to do. I think he went to his first concert. And when he heard Janis Joplin, it made his jaw drop and his skin tingle. And um, Columbia up to that point had not done anything with rock and roll. And so he really went out on a ledge and started bringing in some rock and roll people. And apparently he had this incredible knack for finding and discovering people. Um, he discovered... Um, let me, let me think way back uh, early on. I don't remember the really early ones, but uh, the next ones were like Barry Manilow, Whitney Houston, Aretha Franklin. Um, he brought in a lot of the R&B groups to, um, to Columbia that, you know, had never really gotten uh, any, you know, recognition before. 
Uh, and what's fascinating is he is still alive and he's still able to tell his story. And so there are some interesting interviews with him talking about his thought process and his journal and journey uh, into this industry. And he had a big, huge, terrible episode that was completely out of his control. And in a sense, he was a victim of it. And he was, he was, uh, you know, exonerated later, but it destroyed his career. He thought everything was over. Uh, and then, you know, he made this incredible turn and he, uh, you know, would host these big events, apparently, you know, in, it was for the music industry and the movie entertainment industry, the event to go to every year. Um, the who's who of film and um, music were there. And all of the people in, you know, the Hollywood world would end up at these uh, parties. And now they're in this film talking about what an incredible, talented man he is and how they wouldn't be where they were in their career without Clive Davis. So it's a fascinating story of, of you know, somebody that did not have an, in an intention at all or know he had a gift at all, but became this like game changer, um, you know, giant in an industry. So fascinating documentary. You can find it on Netflix, um, I think Voodoo uh, and Prime Video. Let me look again. I'm on Rotten Tomatoes and right now Rotten Tomatoes. Let's see. The audience score gives it an 86 and the tomato meter gives it an 82, 82%. Um, you know, there's lots of little quotes and stuff on there and let's see is, oh yeah. Voodoo, Netflix and Prime Video. So um, with Voodoo and Prime Video, you have to rent it and Netflix, it comes with your subscription. So that's my recommendation for this week. Rock and roll. Okay. <laughs> All right. Before we say goodbye, Christian, is there anything else we need to remind people of? Uh, nope. I mean, we still need your support for sure. Um, so if there's any way you can find it in your heart to make a donation, we would receive it most gratefully. We would love for you to join our Patreon. We're um, putting out some really interesting stuff, videos that I took on my trip to Normandy recently. Um, and you know, there's stuff in there about riding in a Jeep and going into the steeple of the Carenton Church. Uh, also some messages from Flo and Danny that will be in there. So we've got a lot of really fun stuff coming out to our Patreon people. So consider that. And um, yeah, well, stay tuned next week to hear how it goes in Montana. Awesome. Well, hey, everyone, thank you for listening to Documentary First where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. <laughs>